Hello London, we are ready for your vote. Hello, I'm Stephen Perkins and this is Douzepoir, your Eurovision obsessive podcast from the Binge Watch family, here with you every Monday and brimming with excitement as we get tantalisingly close to Liverpool 2023. Let's get started with your usual friendly reminder that you are very welcome to follow us on Twitter at bingewatch underscore pod, where you can not only get regular reminders of new episode releases, but you can also get in touch with us if there's anything you are desperate to say. This week, I am going to be taking a little look at how we ended up with such a thing as the Big Five at Eurovision. But first of all, what is in the news this week? The results are in from the poll to find the nation's favourite UK Eurovision entry, and the winner is... Fanfare here. Sam Ryder, still cruising in on an enormous wave of goodwill after transforming the UK's fortunes in Turin last year, Sam's song Spaceman was voted the greatest UK Eurovision song by Radio 2 listeners. Buck's Fizz is Making Your Mind Up was second, and Ooh Ah Just a Little Bit by Gina G was third. You can hear the full countdown now of the top 40 on BBC Sounds, or you can listen to it on BBC Radio 2 on Saturday the 13th of May from 1 to 3pm. There are a few surprises in there, but I will spoil one of them for you right now by telling you that Imani's Where Are You was number 15, and it should have been higher. The stage for this year's Eurovision Song Contest has been officially unveiled by King Giles and Queen Consort Camilla in Liverpool. The Royals visited the arena last week to light up the arena for the very first time and lend their support to UK representative Mae Muller, telling her that they will be watching and egging her on. They didn't reveal who they'll actually be voting for on the night, but my money is on them being major Lorene stands. After an acrimonious split more than 35 years ago, the original lineup of Frankie Goes to Hollywood will be reforming for the National Lottery's big Eurovision welcome in Liverpool on Sunday the 7th of May. The event, which is a huge concert to kick off Eurovision season, hosted by Joel Domit and AJ Adudu, boasts a star-studded lineup, which also includes Eurovision champions Conchita Wurst and Jamala, as well as the Lightning Seeds, Atomic Kitten, and The Real Thing. And finally, if you were trying to dodge the astronomical cost of accommodation in Liverpool during Eurovision week by staying somewhere nearby, you should definitely start making contingency plans, because an RMT strike has been announced for Saturday 13th of May, the day of the final, so there will not be many trains. If you haven't done so already, now would be an excellent time to make friends with the Liverpudlian, who either have a spare room or a car that they'll be willing to run you back to your digs in in the very small hours of the morning. Now, in previous podcasts, I've talked a fair bit about the Big Five. That's France, Germany, Italy, Spain and the United Kingdom, who all qualify for the grand final automatically each year because they are the five biggest financial contributors to the European Broadcasting Union. That is a given in the contest at this point, but the route here has become quite a bumpy one. So how did we end up with this advantage for these five countries? And is it even an advantage at all? Well, believe it or not, to answer that properly, we have to travel all the way back to the early 1990s and the breakup of the Soviet Union. Okay, relax. I'm not going to get into a long geopolitical history lesson here because I'm definitely not qualified to give you one. But one of the many effects of the dissolution of the USSR and the breakup of Yugoslavia was that a great many more independent nations existed. And as a rite of passage, a lot of them felt it was important to enter the Eurovision Song Contest in their new forms. This posed a problem for the contest organisers because it was already quite a long event and there were only so many new countries that could be admitted without making the whole thing nine hours long. <sighs> Various solutions were proposed before we got to the current state of affairs. The very first pre-selection round was held in 1993, known as, and I offer my sincerest apologies to any Slovenians listening, Kvalifikacija za Street 
or pre-selection for Mill Street, which was the name of the Irish town where the 1993 contest was being held. This was purely for countries that had not entered Eurovision before, and was held in Ljubljana, Slovenia. Seven countries competed for three available slots, with Bosnia and Herzegovina, Croatia and Slovenia making their debuts at Eurovision that year after all. In 1994, there was no qualifying round, as the EBU introduced a new system. In order to allow space for seven new countries to compete, Estonia, Hungary, Lithuania, Poland, Romania, Russia and Slovakia, the decision was taken that the seven lowest placed countries from 1993 would be temporarily relegated out of the competition, meaning that Belgium, Cyprus, Denmark, Israel, Luxembourg, Slovenia and Turkey were initially taken out of the running. Although Cyprus were later granted a reprieve, Italy decided to pull out of that year's contest altogether. Luxembourg seemed to take this decision quite personally, because despite being one of the most successful countries at Eurovision overall, with five wins, they never returned to the contest again after that. So the idea then was that countries would all you know, eventually rotate their participation in the contest. The countries that sat out in 94 would return in 95, and then the lowest touring countries from 94 would take a year off. However, this is where things get messy, and where the seeds for the eventual Big Five system were sown. Germany finished 23rd in 1995. So they would have had to sit out in 96, and it's believed that they kicked up quite a bit of a stink over that prospect because of the large amount of money they put into the contest. So, in 1996, a new qualification system was trialled. This was an audio-only pre-selection which every entrant, apart from Norway, the host country that year, had to go through to qualify for the main event. Each country submitted their entry on tape, and the jurors, who were a different group of people to the ones who would be selected for the final, were required to listen to each song three times before voting. So despite being an effort to smooth over the relegation system of previous years, this wasn't actually that well received. For starters, it didn't fix things for Germany, who were still two points short of qualifying once all the scores came in, and this was the only year that Germany were absent for a European final. Moreover, several countries were angry that they'd gone to the length of organising national finals, finding artists, picking a song, only to get to Eurovision and be eliminated before the contest even happened, not even get a chance to appear on the stage. So, a new solution was still needed. In 1997, we returned to the relegation system, but this time with a twist. To avoid countries being penalised for a single bad year, an average was taken of their scores over the previous four years, and of course the previous year's winner and host country would still qualify automatically. Obviously this was an imperfect system, but it did seem the fairest out of all the ones that have been tried so far, so it stuck around for quite a while. But a new rule was added in 2000, where France, Germany, Spain and the United Kingdom, who were known as the Big Four countries, as Italy was still on an extended break from Eurovision at the time, they would get to qualify automatically, due to their financial contribution to the contest. It's generally believed that the reason this rule came in at this particular time was because under the existing system, France would have been relegated in 2000, and if Germany and Spain had performed poorly again that year, they would have been absent in 2001. And, crucially, if any of those countries had decided to do in Italy and just pull out of Eurovision entirely, the financial security of the contest as a whole would be at risk. So, this automatic qualifying system for these countries has remained in place ever since then, even when the competition extended itself to organising a full semi-final system from 2004 onwards. Needless to say, not everyone was thrilled about this turn of events, with many countries feeling rightly aggrieved about the unfair advantage being granted to these four countries, particularly when the songs they were entering were, in many cases, arguably not of sufficiently high quality that they would have actually survived the semi-finals if they had to compete in them. Indeed, it's thought that the anger over the elite status of the Big Five was a major contributor to Turkey withdrawing from Eurovision after 2012. But how fair is that assessment? How much of an advantage do the countries actually have? Well, let's take a look at some of the stats. 
Every single nation in the Big Five has won Eurovision at least twice, although only two of them have won since the Big Four or Five system was introduced, Germany in 2010 and Italy in 2021. Since returning to the competition in 2011, Italy have done a much better job of representing themselves than the other four countries, only missing the top 10 twice. Or, to put it another way, Italy have managed four top three finishes since rejoining in 2011, while France, Germany, Spain and the UK have only managed five top three finishes collectively since 2000. There are some particular low points for the Big Five system that we should definitely be hanging our heads in shame over, and I'm not talking individual songs, but just general statistical problems. In the 2015 Eurovision Song Contest, four out of the Big Five countries finished lower than 20th. Italy, at least, did manage to emerge with their dignity intact that year, with Il Bolo's Grande Amore winning the televote and finishing third overall. There's also the fact that since 2014, the country in last place in the grand final every year has been one of the Big Five, except for 2018, when Portugal very kindly took one for the team. Thanks for that, Portugal. So, We've established that Italy is the best performer in the Big Five by a considerable margin, but let's get down into the dirt. Who's the worst? Who is dragging everyone else down? If your instinct was to answer the UK, then, well, you're right, pretty much. Taking the average ranking of the Big Five countries since the system was introduced, the UK has the lowest average score, then Spain in fourth place, Germany in third, France in second, and Italy a long, long way above all of the others. But if you want the good news, and I admit that it's of the clutching at straws variety, if we just look at the last 10 years, the UK is not actually the worst. Hooray! Over the last 10 years, and this has literally changed in the last year, it's actually Germany who have the worst average by a whisker, with three last place finishes to R2, and no top three finishes to the UK's single second place finish. Of course, the fact that I'm splitting hairs over this probably just reinforces the overall position that four out of the big five are chronic underperformers at Eurovision. And it would be reasonable to conclude that automatically qualifying has made us lazy. If you know you haven't got to battle it out in the semis and you're not overly fussed about winning, then you're not going to send your brightest and best, are you? But the good news though is that I think all is not lost, because in the last few years there seems to have been a change in heart from almost all corners. Last year, Spain and the UK were battling it out for the top spot of the leaderboard, thanks to Chanel and Sam Ryder. France finished second in 2021 with Barbara Pravi. And even though it wasn't to my personal taste, even Germany managed fourth place in 2018 thanks to Michael Schulter, and I'm sure they've got another satellite in them somewhere. This year looks like it could be another strong year for several of the Big Five, including the UK, if we play our cards right. And if I can borrow a metaphor that Scott Mills used in this year's contest launch, you can definitely turn a ship around, it just takes motivation and time. And given our untouchable status in the competition for now, we've got plenty of the latter, and, most importantly, it looks like we're starting to develop the former too. There is an actual appetite to do better at Eurovision. Perhaps the stench of unfairness and laziness that has been lingering around the concept of the Big Five has finally shamed us enough that we've realised we're ultimately just embarrassing ourselves, and that it's not actually uncool to want to do well at Eurovision, but it is deeply uncool to pretend that you're above it. So those are my thoughts on the Big Five, and that's it for this week. Next week is actual Eurovision week. Can you believe it's here already? We'll have all sorts of Eurovision programming for you across the week, including extra episodes with interviews, previews and reactions. So this would be a brilliant time, if you haven't done so already, to hit that subscribe button and make sure you don't miss an episode. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening. And until next time, good night Europe and good morning Australia. Yeah.